Good evening, church. I'm glad that you could be joining us for our service. And I really pray that God would use the service to bless you, uh, even in this time, even as we're in our own homes. Uh, but I really do trust that God would use this opportunity, even though it's online, ready to be a blessing to you. We have a few announcements before we really jump into the service. And so our first announcement is that our church is committed to keeping you updated. No matter what happens, we will see what the president says and we will be updating you as we go. So if we are back in church, we will let you know. If we're still online, we'll be letting you know about that. The second announcement that we have for this evening is that the Young Adults Camp has unfortunately been postponed uh, from the start of August till November 25th till the 4th of December. And so hopefully towards the end of the year, we can look forward to that. We can get to once again gather as young adults for that camp. Uh, but just know that it is being postponed. And the last announcement that we're looking at for tonight is that Lauren, one of our missionaries, will be doing an update tomorrow evening at 7.30 via Zoom. If you want to attend that and join with and hear that update, please ask one of our pastors for the link and they will be more than happy to give it to you so that you can join in and encourage her as she continues on. As we go even tonight into our worship service, really want to call us just to be reminded of who God is and what He does. And so just our call to worship this evening is from Psalm 36 verse 5 going onwards and it reads, Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast, you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. And you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. We serve a steadfast and faithful God who sustains us. And oh, what joy we have that we get to serve such a God. Please join with us as we read the word, pray, and get to worship Him. Hello Church, I will be reading for us from Genesis 5 verse 12 to 24. Verse 12. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Kenan were 910 years and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. That concludes the Bible reading for today. 
Father, we do want to thank you for the joy of, of coming to you and coming to speak to the living God, the Creator God, the one who is over all things, the, the one who is King and, and ruler over all. And what a joy to come and speak to you, uh, not as enemies, but come to speak to you as friends, as those who are uh, those who have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And uh, thank you that you hear our prayers, that you hear our cries, and that you love us, and that you are for us, and that you uh, that you want to hear us, and that we can come with confidence because of our faith in Jesus Christ, and that we are children of the living God. So God, we come with confidence, and we are reminded of the words of the psalmist, where he said that, that you are our light, um, you are my light, and you lead us. You've always led us in, in truth. You've always shown us the path. You've always been the one that has reached out to us and, and counseled us, uh, whether it's through your word or whether it's through your people. Um, you've always been the one uh, speaking and reaching out and directing and, and, and leading us in the way that we need, need to go. Uh, you've also been our salvation, as the psalmist says. And, and God, we know that in the past you have delivered your people from the most difficult uh, circumstances uh, from from the hands of the enemies you have you have been their deliverer and you are mighty to save and uh, but god we we know that even for for your children even for those who are saved even within the church we know that there are some some trials that we are going through that god you might not take us out of um, but ultimately we cling to the fact that you are still our salvation because we have a salvation that is found in Christ that no one and nothing can take from us, um, that not even the enemy can snatch um, uh, from us. We have faith in Jesus. We have a salvation. We have an eternal life. And um, so we thank you for that life that is found in, in Jesus alone. So God, we realize that in our country we have so many people who who live without hope, so many people living in fear. Um, and so, God, we pray that we would be ambassadors for Christ, uh, that we would be the ones who proclaim uh, to others about the hope that is found in Christ alone, that we would use the difficulties that we are going through in the country, um, not to make much of ourselves, but to make much of Jesus, and use every opportunity to proclaim Christ, teach the word, um, even when you do good deeds, that it would point to Christ and not to ourselves. And um, God, we pray that, that people will see Christ through this. We pray that we know, God, that often you use the suffering as a, as a megaphone. And as you use this megaphone to to wake people up, to to show, to speak to people about the reality of God, that there is a God, um, and that people are living in a broken world, that we would use the opportunity to point them to Christ. So, God, we do also pray that you would give our, our leaders wisdom, uh, that uh, we we know that they don't even realize that they are living in a in a world that um, at this point they don't even know that they themselves are being ruled by by the, the ruler of this world, Satan himself. And so we pray for freedom. We pray that they would uh, be saved and be delivered and uh, experience the freedom that we experience in Jesus Christ. So, God, we also pray for the preaching of your word uh, this evening. We pray for Carsten as he brings your word, that you would um, give him boldness, give him humility, and that you would speak through him uh, this evening. And I also pray, God, for our church, that as we continue to love and serve wherever you've placed us, 
that as we as we go into our communities that we would uh, not forget to continue to um, give faithfully towards the, towards the the work of uh, um, of gospel ministry and support where we can and uh, continue to love and, and care and and give back to you uh, god uh, you have so faithfully given to us and provided for us um, god we can never repay you but we just give out of a out of a heart of gratitude of what you have done for us um, god thank you for the joy of serving you and knowing you and believing and standing firm on every single promise that you have given us in your word in jesus name we pray amen oh what blessed assurance we found in god uh, even as we were in this lounge just singing to god it just fills my heart with such joy that we get to have such security in that god it's just such i just think of those words ever my anchor ever my hope and i, I really think that that will be hopefully what we get into this sermon just seeing god for who he truly is and so you can so long turn to Psalm 31. That's where we're going to be for this week. I've been thinking this week uh, a little bit about common things that we tend to say. So one of the most common South African greetings is, how's it? The standard, how's the greeting? And so generally, somebody says, how's it? And the response is, how's it? Nobody actually goes and answers that question with, you know, I've actually really had a tough week and my life's been difficult. No, it's just, it's the standard answer of, how's it? You don't really expect a response. And so we, likewise, tend to have the same sort of response. Wherever anything bad happens or something that we don't understand or we're worried about something, the most common response we get is, just trust God. Just trust God. Or to use the more informal way of saying this, let go and let God. Well, I've been thinking this week, do I, do we truly understand or even believe it? Or is it something that we say because it seems like the appropriate response to that person's situation? For the person saying the phrase, just trust God, these questions of understanding and belief may not seem that important. But to the person it is being told to, those questions demand a response. They demand an answer. And to answer these questions tonight, I want to look at the example of David, especially his situation. And then I want to look through the lens of the rest of Scripture to truly answer the question, how do I trust God? And so that's the title of our sermon tonight, Learning to Trust God. And so reading from Psalm 31, from verse 9 to verse 13, reads as follows. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted away from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow, my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity, and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I have been forgotten like one who is dead. 
I have become like a broken vessel. For I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side. And as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. Let us pray before we get further into this text. Lord, I just thank you. I thank you that you do give us your word. I thank you, God, that you do not leave us without an answer. And so I pray, Lord, for each person who is hearing your word spoken tonight, that God, this would penetrate the heaviness and weightiness of our hearts. That God would not neglect this message tonight because it feels like you are far from us. That God, you would penetrate into our hearts. Spirit, speak to us. Each person, as they hear this message, be that in their lounge or wherever they may be. God, would you use me tonight? Would I be effective in proclaiming your word? Would I not say anything that is false or untrue? Provide hope in anything besides you. Thank you, Lord, again, that we get this opportunity to come before your word. Pray this, Lord, in your precious name. Amen. Tonight we are asking the question, what does it mean to trust? In order to understand this question, I want to start looking at my first point tonight, when I do not trust. David starts off this portion of the psalm, essentially saying, Have mercy, God, I am miserable. The word he uses for distress in this text comes from the root word to be bound up. He's feeling enclosed like the walls are around him. He's tied up with everything that's going on. No freedom. Well, then what then is going on? He speaks of grief, frustration, Sorrow, groaning, a failing strength due to guilt or punishment for sin, frail bones, social isolation, strong opposition. He goes on to say that he feels forgotten by men and later God. He feels like he's repulsive and broken or damaged goods. While also feeling a deep sense of fear for those who seek to take his life. I don't think that I could come up with a better list of reasons as to why we turn away from God when the question comes, can I really trust God? The waters start rising up and it's almost like our ears become deaf to that message. Each of these are real struggles, real experiences, especially in a time like now that many of us have faced. If you're like me, we faced many hours alone. You've experienced suffering in your family or sickness. Some of you, it's job security. Some of you, it's you've been without a job. Some of you, you don't know where your next meal is coming from. For some, it's you feeling like you're isolated in your own home. What used to be a great comfort after a day's work feels like you're trapped. The things that can undermine our trust are many and varied. Our souls are often griefed and vexed from our circumstance and even our own fallenness. Whatever the cause, it is at times like these that saying that phrase, just trust God, seems almost cheap 
or empty. A tired old expression, which may be the Christian equivalent of, there, there, it'll be alright. David here is real about his experience. If you take the time to read this portion of the psalm again, he does not make light work of expressing how he feels. So much so that he feels like his eye has wasted away with his numerous tears. Often, often he's cried. Many of those times, I can tell you now, it's tears to God saying, hear my cry. But he feels unheard. Your experience may be real and exceptionally difficult. That much I do not doubt. But I do want to point you to David's response in Psalm 31 verse 13. Directly after that portion that I read. So verse 14 says, But I trust in you. Let me read that again. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. How? How does someone who is going through all of these things still genuinely say that I trust in you? You are my God despite my circumstances. That's the question I've wrestled with this week. How does David have this response? To begin to answer this question, we need to look at my second point. What is trust? What is trust? Jerry Bridges wrote a book titled Trusting God Even When Life Hurts. And he gives this definition of trust. Trust is not a passive state of mind. It is a vigorous act of the soul by which we choose to lay hold on the promises of God and cling to them despite the adversity that at times seeks to overwhelm us. I'm going to read that definition again because I think it's important for the rest of the sermon. Trust is not a passive state of mind. It is a vigorous act of the soul by which we choose to lay hold on the promises of God and cling to them despite the adversity that at times seeks to overwhelm us. So let us break this down a bit. He says that trusting is not passively waiting. It's not this mere mental agreement with some idea out there. So a couple of weeks ago, I was at the physiotherapist. For those who don't know, I had surgery on my right ankle to fix some ligaments that were torn. And so I'm at the physiotherapist and he tells me to hop onto this little step. So I go, two legs, hop up. I hop up on my left leg. Easy. This is all good. Then he says, hop now on your right leg. Hop up. And despite me knowing my ankle's going to hold, everything's good, everything's right, it should be great. As I went to take that hop, I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. My brain said, do not do this thing. You see, me agreeing with the facts was very different to me actually showing trust in being able to make the hop. After a bit of, a bit of coaxing, a bit of mental work, I eventually made the hop. Only then could I truly say that I trusted my ankle. Only after I had made that hop. You see, we cannot sit back and merely say we are trusting in God. There ought to be an active work 
to trust in God. Read an example of this of the disciples in Matthew 8. They all go aboard a boat with Jesus. The storm rises and this fear enters into their hearts. They should know that they have Jesus in the boat, the Son of God. They'd all agree that they saw Jesus perform many miracles. Yet they display their lack of trust, waking Jesus and saying, we're about to die. Can you not fear about a die, Jesus? Jesus hits the heart of the issue. Why are you afraid? O you of little faith. And so their issue is where we begin tonight with how do we learn to trust God? And so my third point, remind yourself of the God in whom you trust. Remind yourself of the God in whom you trust. When we go through difficult times, it is almost as if there's this black hole in our chest that sucks our eyes and mind to ourselves. David himself, in the portion that I read earlier, refers to himself 21 times while only speaking about God once. If we are honest, our present situation seems much more real than God does. Let me repeat that because I think that is such a true statement. If we are honest, our present situation seems much more real than God does. It is in times like these we need to intentionally pull our eyes off of our circumstances and meditate on the God over those circumstances. Philippians 4 verse 8 describes this. Paul writes, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, and the key point, think about these things. Think about these things. What I'm asking you to do tonight is when everything feels too much, when it feels like the waters are rising, to sit and think. For those who are bakers, it's like kneading the dough, taking these thoughts back and forth and back and forth in your mind. Until that truth becomes solid. And so the first truth we should roll over in our minds is God's character. In the book of Numbers chapter 11, we see that the Israelites in the wilderness are once again complaining. This time about the lack of meat. Moses with hundreds of thousands of grumpy complaining people who are asking him for something that seems virtually impossible to Moses. And so he does something we all tend to do when we go through difficult times like these. He complains and he exaggerates. Read what he says. He says this to God, Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them and be enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them and be enough for them? You can just hear his response. He's like, will they ever be satisfied? And God swiftly replies to Moses with a reminder of who he is. God says, is the Lord's hand too short? Is the Lord's hand too short? Is God not fully capable to do that which he says he would do? And so why should I, why should you trust God? Is because we know a God who is fully capable of acting in our circumstance. He formed the universe And he ends up feeding these hundreds of thousands of people 
in the wilderness quail so much that they become sick. That is what God is capable of doing. How much more capable is he of working in your situation right now? His hand is not too short. Far from it. The question then remains, does God then just not know what I'm going through? Can he not see that I'm struggling right now? The truth behind this is found in Genesis chapter 16. Hagar has run away because of the harsh treatment she received from Sarai, her master. Because Sarai is jealous that Hagar is pregnant, while Sarai herself still remains barren. So Hagar finds herself in the wilderness, where she is met by an angel, and told to name her son that was soon to be born Ishmael, meaning God listens. Why is she told to name him God listens? Because God had heard her affliction. He saw her suffering and abuse. He sees someone who's got no high standing in the world, a simple runaway servant girl. Hagar herself reminds us who God is. She calls him Al Roy, meaning God who sees me. She adds, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. We can have a deep comfort in this moment that God is not absent. He has not left you out in the wilderness. No matter how far he may feel right now or how invisible you feel to the rest of the world, we need to sit down and mull on the fact that God does not just know about us or cast us off, but he knows you personally. Right now, he knows your struggles. He knows your highs. He knows your lows. He knows the times that you question your own faith. He's there through it all. God is able and he knows what you face. But this might beg the question, why doesn't he? Why doesn't he cure that family member's sickness? Why doesn't he give me a job? Why am I still struggling through this crippling depression? Why doesn't he simply step in right now and change my sorrow to joy? You see, something that's very important for us to understand is that God is not frivolous. He doesn't just mess around with us for fun. Everything God does is intentional and purposeful. We see this exact concept explained and showed to us in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Judas comes to betray Jesus, Peter pulls out his sword. He lops off the ear of the servant of the high priest. Jesus promptly heals the ear. And we see what Jesus thinks in this exact circumstance in Matthew 26 verse 53. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father? And he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels. The father could send 12 legions worth of angels to rescue him. He knows what's happening to the son. He has the power to rescue Jesus out of this situation. But he does not do so. Does he not care about Jesus? 
Does the father not care that the son's about to suffer at the hands of these mere men? Why would the father not send those angels and rescue him out? Well, Jesus himself answers that in the following verse, in verse 54. But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? You see, for the greater purpose to be fulfilled, that Jesus would end up reaching the cross, it is necessary that Jesus is not rescued out of his suffering. What you are facing and going through is not meaningless. It is not God having fun. It has a purpose. Right? It has a purpose. J.C. Ryle gives one suggestion what the purpose might be. He says, Trials are intended to make us think, to wean us from the world, to send us to the Bible, and to drive us to our knees. Let me read that again. Trials are intended to make us think, to wean us from the world, to send us to the Bible, and to drive us to our knees. That is one reason why we might be going through this trial right now. But the truth is, that we must understand that often God's plans and His methods for carrying out those plans are regularly greater and further than what we can see and understand. But when it comes to learning to trust God, we don't need to know the end outcome. We don't need to know the way that God's going to get us there, but we do know the God over the plan. I can remember when I was younger, was probably about seven or eight. My family was driving to a holiday when we got caught in this heavy storm, torrential downpours. You could barely see a few meters out the front windscreen. We'd already seen a bucky with the trailer sliding around. It was dangerous and scary. I didn't at that point understand fully how a car worked or tires or wipers or lights or even how to drive in this weather. But I did know one thing. I knew that my dad was at the wheel. And no matter how bad it got outside, I had calm because I trusted my dad knew the right thing to do to navigate us safely out of this condition. You see, I didn't need to know the end outcome to be able to place my trust. I didn't need to know the end outcome to be able to place my trust. The only thing I needed to know was the one who was at the wheel. In the same way, when you get to know the control, God in control of everything, you don't need to know why this is happening now. You don't need to know how it's going to end up. You just need to know that God is working this purpose out in your life. And so the first thing we ought to remind ourselves of is who God is. Capable, knowledgeable, and intentional. That may be enough. We can also remember the second things we need to be reminding ourselves of. God has acted. He has a history of trust. God knows that this is needed in order to trust Him. We see this in the nature of the Passover festival. For seven days, every single year, the Jewish nation was to be reminded of what God did in rescuing them from their slavery in Egypt. 
Exodus verse 21, sorry, Exodus 12 verse 14 says, This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. A memorial day, a reminder of what God did for them. God spared their eldest sons. He took them to the walls of a sea on dry ground. He completely crushed the supposed Egyptian gods and armies. They were led by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. They saw and remarked as to how God's great hand had worked toward them. They sang his praises as they saw him at work. Yet soon they enter the wilderness. And as the wilderness comes, they forget all that God had already done. Soon they're complaining, have you brought us out into this land just to die of hunger? This is the same thing we need to be thinking about. That reminder. That reminder of what God has done. Would God really do such great works to bring them out of slavery only to let them die in the wilderness? Would God really do that? Show all these miracles, show all these things only to let them die? You see, they needed to be reminded of what God had already done to set them free. So they could have the assurance that he would carry out the work which he began. What does the Passover really display? It displays that God has a history of being trustworthy. Every single year when they went into that festival, every single year they had to have that lamb in their house and that a slaughter that lamb and go through that process, it was a reminder that God has a history of being trustworthy. Every year, there was to be reminded that he who has acted in the past will be faithful to act in the present. I want to take this now from the past to our own lives. Look at your own life. I'm fairly certain there are prayers answered Moments of great joy where you praised God with all you had, where a persistent sin was conquered, or a broken relationship was restored. I know that you have seen God work in your life, in the lives of those around you. There are so many instances we can look back where we pray to God about, God, would you lead us towards a house? God, would you grant us to have children? So many good prayers that God has already answered. He has a history of being faithful to us in the past. So we can be assured he will be faithful in the present. Now, it is for you, it is for me, to lay hold of those events in our heart and to fixate our souls upon that work. But most importantly, it is in these instances when our souls feel overwhelmed, when we feel down, to remind ourselves of the ultimate work God has done for you. The true Passover lamb. And so lastly, you ought to remind yourself, Christ is where trust begins and ends. Philippians 1 verse 6 says, And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You see, we are not sustained by our own ability or our own drive, but we set our hearts on the God who started our Christian lives 
will certainly be a part of it as we go through this process of sanctification till one day we reach that glorified state with Him in heaven. If God would be willing to die for you and to rescue us from the wrath we deserve for placing our trust not in Him but in other things, often in our own flesh, if He died for you, why would God not sustain you to make sure you reach the end? It just doesn't make any sense. He died because only He had the power over sin and death and the ability to conquer the devil. He died because He cares for you right now where you are in this circumstance. A reminder of Romans 5.8 Whilst we are still sinners, if He died for you in that state, How much more can we have assurance that He is looking out for us now, at this time? When you first believed in His death and resurrection, there's a further reminder. In Ephesians 1, we are told that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that resides in every believer and interprets the groans of our sufferings to the Father. We have great confidence that even the Spirit, even the Spirit within us is working to sustain us. Dan himself, uh, one of the interns, preached a comforting sermon off the camp on Luke 22 verse 31 to 32, which reads as follows. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. This is right before Peter's about to deny Jesus three times. Right before Jesus is about to go to the cross, in the midst of his own trial, he prays for Peter's faith. What a sweet confidence we have that this same Jesus, who in the midst of his difficulty heading to the cross, is still interceding on our behalf. He prays for you in your circumstance, today, right now. When our ability to trust feels weak. And I know I've been there. When even even trusting in God seems like such a difficult thing. We know that I can get up and face that day because I can look upon that old rugged cross and with certainty know that I have great reason to hope for today. That my soul will be preserved and I'm reminded of John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friend. Christ died for you. No matter how broken, how confused, how weak your faith feels, or how far it seems you have fallen. He has died for you because he loves you with an unconditional love. And if you would believe in Him, you are raised with Him to a new life and to a new hope greater than the circumstance that surrounds you. An eternal hope. Corey ten Boom had this to say. Corey ten Boom, by the way, was a Holocaust survivor. And so that's, I think, it's important to note as you read this. If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at Christ, you'll be at rest. 
Let us be reminded of these things, pondering of them often till our hearts take hold of them. But we see from David in Psalm 31, as per my next point, that it's not just a reminder. There are three other things that we can do. Namely to entrust, wait, and be courageous. And so the first thing that we can do is to entrust. In the Gospels, we read of a father coming to Jesus. His son being possessed by a demon. And the father requests to Jesus, Will you heal my son? Jesus responds to him, Anything is possible to him who believes. Anything is possible to him who believes. And I really find we can resonate with the expression of the father. I believe. Help my unbelief. A commentator phrased his statement this way. My faith is far from perfect. In fact, I may not have enough faith. My faith is not enough. And if my faith is not enough, please help me to have enough. Let me just repeat that portion. My faith is far from perfect. In fact, I may not have enough. Jesus, if my faith is not enough, please help me to have enough. We need to ask God that He would help us to trust Him. To strengthen even our inability to trust. As I said earlier, I've been there. You might be standing there on one foot, trying to take that hop, but it just seems impossible. How do I trust God in these circumstances? I want us to begin with that simple prayer. I believe. Help my unbelief. Jesus himself, despite the lack of this father's faith, heals his son. Our confidence is not in the extent of our trust, but in the one in whom we trust. The next thing we need to do is to wait. Psalm 31 closes with the statement, Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Abraham waited 25 years for God's promise of Isaac till he was 100. Jacob waited 7 years for Rachel. And Jesus himself waited 30 years before he began his ministry. We need to learn the difficult art of patiently waiting for God to act at the right time. Knowing that the God who makes all these promises that we have in Scripture will certainly fulfill them. We can hold on to that as we patiently wait for Him. Lastly, be courageous. Be courageous. Joshua is told three times as he stands on the precipice of the promised land, looking out to be strong and courageous. See, the armies may seem daunting, the walls may seem high, and our confidence may seem low. But we can stand firm because we have the God who created this world with a few words on our side. With Joshua, we can look out on the difficulties to come and say, I will choose to serve God. And we might say with the prophet Isaiah, strengthen the weak hands 
and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong and fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. So let's be courageous. Courageously standing for God, courageously hoping in Him. In closing, contrary to your situation, for you to trust God is to be reminded of who He is, what He has done, and with a courageous spirit to be willing to wait and entrust your current circumstance to God. I'd like to close off with the comforting words of the prophet in Lamentations 3 verse 21 onwards. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. Would we learn to trust in God? Let us pray. Father, I'm thankful. I'm thankful, Lord, that I don't need to rely upon my flesh. That He who began a good work in me will bring it to completion. God, I pray, I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone out there whose faith is feeling weak, whose hands feel like they have faced trial upon trial, that, God, you would strengthen them, that, God, you would build their trust in you, that, Lord, you would help them to be reminded of who you are and what you've done in their lives. Lord, you remove those blocks that seem so insurmountable at this time. Father, would you speak to each of our souls? Lord, even to those who aren't facing difficulty at this time, I pray that, Lord, your word would stick inside us, that when we do come to face those trials, we would do so with confidence, being an example to the world around us. Because we come, Lord, not as people without a hope, but we come with people who have a steadfast hope in a faithful God. A God who I know is in control. And so, Lord, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful, God, that I get to trust in you. That, God, I don't have to trust in myself. Thank you, Lord. I pray, Lord, that with David, we'd be able to look at our circumstances, acknowledge that things are bad, but to say, God, I trust in you. You are my God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that we get to say those sweet and wonderful words. Thank you, Lord, that you are the one who holds us and keeps us every single day. Pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Oh, how wonderful it is to know that God will sustain us through the difficulties of this life. And so I want to close off just with the benediction from Jude. And I think it really fits in with this message. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, 
dominion and authority be for all time and now and forever. Amen. May God be with you as you go into this week.